Welcome to Climate Watch, a podcast that delves deep into the pressing issues of climate change. I'm Gao Junya. The United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP28, is now underway in Dubai. The two-week-long event has garnered global attention as it marks the conclusion of the global stocktake, the first-ever two-year assessment of the world's progress towards the goal of the 2015 Paris Agreement. The primary goal of the Paris Agreement is to keep the increase in global average temperature to well below two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, while pursuing efforts to limit the temperature increase even further to 1.5 degrees Celsius. I think we have come very short and very far. A critical focus of the meeting is ensuring the interest and development of developing countries. The most important topic for the talks will be loss and damage. And China is playing a bigger role in global climate talks and actions. Frankly, China cannot teach the West so much on climate. In today's program, we discuss what outcomes we can expect from COP28 to address climate change. More than 70,000 delegates from around the world have gathered in Dubai for the United Nations Climate Change Conference (COP28). The meeting is a milestone as the world takes stocks of its progress on the Paris Agreement, and the outcome will help pull global efforts against climate change. For more on COP28 and the global climate action, I spoke with Eric Solheim. Former Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations and former Executive Director of the UN Environment Programme, Eric, how far have we come in implementing the Paris Agreement? What achievements have we made so far? What additional steps are necessary to meet its goals? I think we have come very short and very far.、Uh, we have come short when it comes to the diplomatic actions decided by governments on that matter. We are failing. However, ten years ago, no one predicted that the price of solar energy would fall with ninety percent. No one predicted that the price of wind energy would fall by close to ninety percent. This is largely thanks to technological and business development in China, but of course also to some other places in the world. So, in the real economy, we are on the verge of a massive transformation because for the first time in human history. You can go green and save money and create jobs all the same. In the past, if you wanted to go green, there was a cost you needed to based on coal, and it could only happen with certain environment destruction. But now you can, if you shift from coal to solar and wind, not only it's good for the environment, not only it's good for health, but you save money and you create more jobs. So yes, short and far at the same time. Yeah. COP28 is now undergoing in Dubai, and Eric, you're there now attending the meetings. So tell us what are happening and what will happen at COP28. What can we expect? There are two aspects of that. I mean, the bad news is that on the diplomatic front, very little will happen. I mean, there will be no major breakthroughs from the diplomatic conversation between the nations. However, still a lot is happening because this is also kind of a climate festival. Governments, businesses, and activists are coming. Activists are speaking out loud, so their their voice is heard. Businesses are making business deals, and governments are announcing action. For instance, we will see a major initiative to reduce the methane emissions, which are some of the most potent emissions. 
that's uh, that's very important, even if it may not be part of the diplomatic conversation. So if you shift the focus from diplomacy to the political economy, a lot is happening also here in Dubai. And personally, can you share any specific proposals or areas of interest you have for the convention? We know COP28 covers various topics such as health, finance, energy and use. What outcomes do you hope to see from these discussions? The most important topic for the talks will be loss and damage. And that's a demand from the developing countries, for sure also supported by a high-income developing country like China. Uh, and it's a very fair demand. Look, U.S. emissions per capita up to today are eight times China's, 25 times India's. And if you compare to Africa, even many more times. So the cause of the climate problem rests with the United States, Europe, and a few other nations, the developed world. They have caused the problem. And of course, they should pay for the reparations, for the loss and damage, which Bangladesh or African nations and Latin American nations have faced due to this problem. That's the number one demand here. And I'm sure there will be some compromises that remove the text a little bit. But I cannot foresee that massive money will be put on the table. And even worse, even if money is put on the table, these global way so constructing it tend to be very bureaucratic and very slow. Look, the most dynamic developing nations like China, India, Indonesia, Vietnam, and others, they are not mainly focusing on how they can see the opportunities of going green. How can we create jobs, prosperity in China or in India by focusing on electric cars, solar energy, wind power, etc. So while this demand from the development world is very fair and should get the support from everyone, at the same time, Developing nations should be advised to focus on how they can go green and capture markets and create jobs. Eric, personally, you've been devoted to environmental protection and coordinating global climate action for years. And you were the executive director of the UN Environment Program for over three years. How do you assess the role of the UN Climate Change Conference? Could you share some of the actions and initiatives you spearheaded during your tenure to promote climate action and cooperation among international communities? Yes, like uh, 15 years back when I first came to a climate conference, which was in Bali in Indonesia in 2007, by the way, uh, the hero of the climate talks, uh, Chinese um, climate envoy Shen Shenhua, also was there. And that was the first time I met with him at that time. The total focus for the climate discussion in the world was these climate talks. It was the diplomacy. Now, of course, diplomacy is just a small part of the climate talks because there are thousands of representatives of business here, NGOs, of course, and a number of other institutions, and they are the main drivers of the change. No one could predict 10 years ago that the price of solar energy would fall by 90%. No one thought it possible. That's not driving the change everywhere in the world, because if you switch from coal to solar, you create jobs and prosperity while going green. So there have been two major shifts in these 15 years when I've been associated with climate change. One is the shift from focus on diplomacy to a focus on political decisions and the economy. And the other is the shift of Asia, particularly China, which was in the back seat in, back in the days. It's now in the absolute front seat, and China is dominating all green technologies. And of course, China is also much more powerful, much more visible in the talks itself. 
Yes, like you said, the world's top two carbon dioxide emitters have bigger roles to play in coordinating in leading global climate action. And actually, recently there's some good news. The Sunnyland statement from the U.S. and China has signaled increased coordination in climate action from the two countries. What's your take on this development? What expectations do you have regarding their commitments? To me, this is a no-brainer. Every big issue in the 21st century, whether climate or environment or bringing everyone out of poverty or restarting the economies after the COVID, we do it much better if we work together. The United States and China, but indeed, of course, also Europe, India, everyone else, if we work together, there is no issue we cannot resolve. If we stick to crazy ideas like decoupling or that any issue is a win-lose, if one nation wins, another nation will lose. It's not like that. I mean, most issues, every nation can win. If we wipe out global poverty or if we create a climate-friendly humanity, well, everyone is a winner. No one is a loser. So we should focus on what we can do together. Then we will do do much better. And the most important between the United States and China is not the climate talks, but it is to get the economy working better. More investments from China in the United States and from the United States and China, more exchange of trade or technology, and also, frankly, China can now teach the West so much on climate, and Western companies need to really step up if they want to compete. One example is the car automobile industry. Uh, Ten years ago, China was a very, very small player in the automobile industry, and it didn't have any major brand. There's no Chinese Toyota or Volkswagen. But what, what did China do? Leapfrog into the green future. And BYD is now the biggest electric car company in the world. China just passed Japan as the biggest exporter of cars in the world. And there are about 10 different Chinese brands. Hongji, Nio, Shang'an, Geely, and many more are competing in the electric car, in, car industry. If China dream men in the old, it would have been very hard to compete. Because China is so fast in the new, it's competing very well. And very frankly, if Detroit, I meaning General Motors for the big American companies, cannot switch faster into the new to the electric cars, they will be losers. Uh, and the global future car market will be dominated by China. But we should exchange views, trade more, uh, look for all the win-win solutions, and then there will be winners both in the West and in China, and indeed in the rest of the world. Yeah, Eric, you've been to so many places in China, and you've witnessed firsthand China's drive for green development. Can you share with us one story or two that have impressed you? What lessons or experience do you think the rest of the world can draw from China's journey towards sustainability? Maybe what has impressed me the most is the speed of the war on pollution uh, in China. Look, 15 years ago, I would never go jogging in a Chinese city uh, because it was the pollution was so thick. And whenever I spoke to people, they would say, oh, we are grateful for the economic development, but I want to see the sun. Or I don't want to live with my children in this very polluted city. Now, uh, China's won that war. Uh, all Chinese cities are now much, much cleaner. I would go jogging everywhere. Uh, you can see the sky in, in uh, the blue sky. You can see the sun in Beijing and all, all Chinese cities. And some of the southern Chinese cities like Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Hangzhou are indeed among the greenest cities anywhere 
anywhere in the world, Chengdu, Suzhou, I make a mention, <laughs> good number. They are really, really green cities. This has happened very, very fast. Yes, I mean, they've done quite a lot of the same in Europe, just that took much, much, much longer. And it's not just the air in Shenzhen province, which has been somewhat of a green in China, maybe dating back to the time when Xi Jinping was the party secretary of Shenzhen. They have cleaned up the rivers. It's so absolutely wonderful. These were very polluted rivers and, and canals and, and water beds in, 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 in the past. Now they're wonderfully clean. Tourists are coming. Retired people want to go for a walk along the, the rivers. And you can send your children into the river to go for a swim. Absolutely fantastic. And this has happened in just one decade. And I'll give you some examples. In Kunming, the big lake has been cleaned up. There are fantastic bike paths around the lake. In Hangzhou, the West Lake has been restored in its old beauty as one of the really most beautiful, wonderful lakes in China. By the way, where Henry Kissinger just passed away today when he and Shou Enlai uh, did the China-America diplomacy at the time of the ping-pong diplomacy. It happened right at the West Lake in Hangzhou. So... If you ask one story, it's this, how you clean up and uh, create a less polluted or pollution-free society in such a fast time. And of course, while Africa, Latin America, India cannot just copy Chinese experience, still, we can all learn a lot from how China has done this. That was Eric Solheim, former Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations and former Executive Director of the UN Environment Programme. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Now let's follow Yang Guang and have a look at the latest climate developments across the globe. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres called 2023 the hottest year on record. China is calling for developed countries to take the lead in drastically cutting carbon emissions and creating space for developing countries to achieve sustainable development goals. Chinese researchers are saying polar research is becoming increasingly important in addressing the challenges brought about by global climate change. A German court has ordered the German government to set up immediate programs to make up for missed climate targets in the transport and the building sectors. Heavy snowfall in Germany has caused severe traffic disruptions in several states and led to the deaths of two in car accidents. 270 people have been killed and over 900,000 displaced by floods caused by ongoing rains in the Horn of Africa. A report says existing technologies can halve Australia's greenhouse gas emissions from 2020 levels by 2030. That's all we have for this edition of Climate Watch. To listen to this episode again and to catch up on our previous episodes, you can search Climate Watch on major podcast platforms or visit our website, radio.cgtn.com. You can also contact us via email, radio at cgtn.com. Climate Watch is a weekly podcast brought to you by CGTN Radio. We will continue to bring you more on what's happening at the ongoing COP28. Stay with us.